You're listening to episode 66 of The Marketer's Mindset with Brian Burkhardt. Welcome back to The Marketer's Mindset, the podcast where we talk about how to create and sustain an empowering mindset to help you build a successful online business and lead a happy and abundant life. Welcome back, everybody. My guest today has gone from a hazardous waste scientist to a successful entrepreneur who has started over five businesses. He's the CEO of Luma Comfort, a manufacturer of beautifully designed portable home appliances, along with his other company, New Air Appliances, which he started as a side hustle out of his garage, in which he has successfully grown and scaled from those humble beginnings to having over 50 employees and multi-eight-figure sales, and has been ranked as one of the fastest-growing private internet retailers in America for three consecutive years, according to Inc. As a true ultra-entrepreneur who exemplifies the word hustle, he has recently created a new e-commerce service business called Retail Band, which is an expert R-commerce agency that works with select brands to manage and accelerate their online business on retailer platforms such as Best Buy, Home Depot, Lowe's, Wayfair, and Walmart. He's also the host of the Page One podcast, a twice-weekly podcast featuring a variety of guests and thought leaders on topics ranging from channel strategy, tariffs, influencer marketing, product launches, and details about how to grow e-commerce with big box retailers. Please welcome to the show, Luke Peters. Thanks for having me, Brian. Thrilled to be here and uh, hopefully can share some nuggets to help your audience. Definitely. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but do you know what today is, Luke? Oh man, now you're going to stump me. It's uh, Monday. No, it's, it's, I just found this out over the weekend, so don't feel bad. Uh-oh. No problem. It's International Podcast Day. Uh, you know what? It's funny. I saw something. Uh, I, I think I saw that on LinkedIn. I saw somebody. Did you? Uh, okay. I'm not sure who who posted it. Somebody in my network posted that. Yep. Yeah, I just found out over the weekend. So uh, happy International Podcast Day to you because you are a fellow podcaster. Yeah, and thank you. Everyone, and our audiences that listen to us. So we appreciate yeah. everybody. Yeah, I mean, they're growing. So, the podcast is, it's the new blog, right? I mean, it's 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 growing exponentially right now. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I heard something and I'm not going to get the figures right, but they were going over how many YouTube channels there are and I don't know how many hundreds of millions. And then they said that there were only like a million podcasts or something. Now, don't quote me on those figures, but basically, you know, when people go, man, everybody's got a podcast. I can't get into it. Well, <laughs> if you compare it to YouTube and there's people still opening YouTube channels constantly, there's plenty of room in the market. So yeah, 100% agree. Yeah. And and a lot of the young people are listening to podcasts now. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't think a lot of young 20 somethings are, would do it, but they are. So it's, it's just going to become more and more popular and relevant. Yeah. I think it's, it's exciting because, and like I said, I listened to uh, one of your episodes today. And again, I, like I said, I'm very impressed. You did a good job. So I think you got a good, good content, good show, uh, a good niche for your audience and what you're a specialist in. And one of the things that you said on there, which I commend you on, cause it's one of my focuses too, is 
you were talking to your guest and you were talking about getting actionable items. So you wanted to talk about things, but actionable that your listeners could apply. And that's what I like to do in my podcast. It's good to go over some theory and concepts, but sometimes it's nice to say, hey, what is something actionable that someone could take right after listening to this show and implement it into their business and start seeing some results or or start exploring that option? Yep, exactly. I mean, it's it's the way I think. And, and I think a lot of people now, I mean, attention spans are shorter, right? So, um, and also, I mean, there, like you said, there could be a lot of theory, but what really has worked and also the guests that you're speaking with, you're speaking with people who are experts in their fields. And so they've have that experience and hopefully can share it with your audience. Right. Definitely. Now, what made you want to start a podcast, Luke? Well, um, you know, what's, what's interesting is from the marketing, I mean, I love marketing. Okay. And I love content marketing and just understanding about um, how to kind of get in front of an audience and um, provide the right information. And so this podcast is kind of tied to my new business. So I didn't really need it as much for my, uh, for my main brand, New Air. So in New Air, you know, we're selling really cool appliances like wine coolers and beer coolers. And, and um, our customers are going to be direct to consumer or Home Depot. And I guess I, I could have um, started one in there, but it became really, a, uh, you know, a mandatory um, item kind of on my business plan when I started retail band, because in this, this is more of an agency model. So this is, do, we're doing the same marketing and retail band as we are in new era, except we want to do it for other brands. So how do we kind of create that visibility that we're able to successfully do this is, is one idea to start a podcast. And also, um, but what happened was when I looked at it, I realized like nobody is talking about the stuff that I'm talking about. There really isn't anybody who's getting into it. And, um, there was kind of a big, a big void. So I thought, well, somebody has got to talk about this and the markets that we want to, um, serve, which essentially would be a brand. So any product and the product that could be sold into say Home Depot or Wayfair or Lowe's or Walmart, I mean, everything can be sold on Amazon. So I'm going after actually a different market. In addition, we can help them sell on Amazon, but the focus is Wayfair, Home Depot, Lowe's, Target, Walmart, Bed Bath, all, all of those other stores that we call our commerce. And the idea is, so it's that audience and no one's really talking about it. And um, so while there's all these content benefits and there's all these other, and then, and then of course, along the way, I get to meet all these great people. You know, I'm talking to the different leaders and these different brands, but uh, that's a long answer. But the quick answer was what made it really interesting was that um, th- nobody was talking about that category. So seemed like a natural fit. Yeah, no, that's, that's perfect. And I like that because it kind of goes with, you're into marketing. So, you know, a lot of people, when they go to advertiser, they usually go, all right, we're going to go on Google. We're going to go on Facebook. And there's a lot of different avenues that they don't incorporate in their business. They only go for the big ones because they think that's where they need to be. And I mean, there's guys out there that are doing really well with advertising on Yahoo and Bing and not doing Google, you know? So I think with you tapping into people so focused now on Amazon as the big gorilla and the one that you need to be on, there's plenty of other avenues that are being neglected that are effective for these businesses. So I think you got a great niche and you're going to be providing a lot of valuable information to those businesses. Yeah, thanks. Yep. That's how we see it as well. No, that's great. Now, doing research on you, Luke, I found out that you were a former swimming pool service business owner. 
was that like one of your first businesses or? Yeah. Yeah. That would be my first, you know, so like growing up my parents, well, I, okay. I delivered newspaper. I mean, these, these aren't, I did that I too. <laughs> I, I like to count that. Delivered newspapers. Yeah. I know. Isn't that funny? So I, I won't count all those things, but it's just like from an early age, you know, very, you know, just a entrepreneurial family. But anyways, right. uh, yeah, I was, um, anybody who's young, you know, in, in college, like cleaning swimming pools, um, it's a great job. Actually. It's actually a lot of fun. You're out in the sun. You can kind of make your own uh, schedule and, uh, walk around in a tank top and flip flops. And that's what I did. I basically did that all the way through college, paid for college, um, oh, wow. grew, grew a route to about a hundred customers. Okay. Really? And yeah. So by that time, you know, that's almost became like about a five because, you know, doing 20 customers a day is actually quite a bit of work. So that's about a, you know, a really a full-time job at that point. Right. And uh, after I graduated, um, when I received a job offer as a hazardous waste scientist, I um, ended up selling it to a friend of mine, the the business, Pool Heaven, and uh, he's still running it in Orange County and he's grown it. He's done a great job with it. So the the name lives on. Wow. That's nice to kind of see your baby still going, huh? Yeah. It's, it's kind of fun. So it's, and I mean, this is, this has got to be. 20 years since. So this is, it's a, maybe at least 20 years. I don't even have to do the math, but at least 20 years. So it's, it's, a, it's a while down there, but um, yeah, that was the business and you learn a lot. I mean, you got to talk to customers face to face a lot and you have to right. make sure you're collecting your money and then you just, you know, the costs are minimal as far as, uh, you know, vehicle and chemicals. Um, but you got to do repairs and solve problems and, and realize what's, going to be profitable and what isn't going to be profitable and, um, teaches you a lot of patience. Yeah, definitely. So what was your, your degree in that? Were you into the science part? Is that where you got your degree in or? Yeah. So I, I got a degree in microbiology and a minor in chemistry. So that, so with the degree, you know, I kind of wanted to do something in that field. Um, and that's why I kind of, you know, went and worked as a scientist for a couple of years, um, ended up not being, I mean, at least the role I was in wasn't something I really loved doing, but um, you know, at least to let me see, uh, you know, the W2 side of life. And then, uh, from there started the, started up newer. Yeah. I bet you that was a great way to say, yeah, yeah, this is not a good fit for me. I need to be beyond my own and, and, uh, doing the entrepreneurial thing. Yeah. I mean, I, well, I, and I was working for the government, so you can, you can put, oh, okay. in, insert government jokes, but, um, good intentions, not a lot of stuff getting done. So the problem is, it's just, um, it's not real dynamic, unfortunately, if that makes sense, you know, because right. it, there's, there's just a lot of regulation and slow moving aspect of the job of the intention and what they're doing is really good though. Cleaning up groundwater that, that, that's what, what I was involved in. Oh, okay. Um, so it was, it was good stuff. Um, but just wasn't for me. Now, I think you said before this, I was going to ask you, did you grow up in an entrepreneurial family? Yeah. Um, so my parents for sure. I mean, my parents have always had their own business. So, um, when we were young, they owned donut shops and the kids, we were all working in the donut shop. So I'd be 10 or 11, literally I'd be 10 or 11 years old and working a graveyard shift in the donut shop. And I was, and, and, it, you know, when we, when the family gets together, we have the same joke every time, you know, my dad paid me 25 cents an hour and, uh, then he'll, he'll, chime back that all I did was uh, drink soda and eat donuts the whole time. <laughs> but, but, um, yeah, that's how all of us in the, in the family and we, we all worked 
And, um, that's kind of how we were raised. And then I'd go to school. We didn't, we didn't get a lunch. You know, I just go to school with a box of donuts and I would trade or a bag of donuts and I trade my donuts for uh, my friend's lunches. And, uh, that's, that's kind of how we grew up. And the entrepreneur was born. Yeah. Out, out of necessity. <laughs> yeah. But that's how a lot do, you know, that's, mm-hmm. you, you learn it from doing it and then you found out that you're good at it. And obviously, you know, you have a passion and you're, you're growing and scaling businesses and you got a podcast, you got, you got a ton of things going on. I, I want to touch on that. <clears throat> I'm fascinated by your story of you starting new air appliances as a side hustle out of your garage and then just blowing it up to eight figures kind of go through that. Like what were the beginnings? What were some of the struggles that you went through? And then towards the end, I mean, what did you learn in that process that has helped you with these other businesses that you've started? Yeah. I mean, what I would start with is, especially if people are starting out or learning is that most businesses don't start. I mean, I mean, it's, you know, 15 years, it's 17 years personally for me to get to this point. So, I mean, there's a lot of grinding at the beginning and, um, and so I'll kind of reverse order and I'll say, just because it's it's an interesting way to think about things. And I'll say that, I mean, everything starts small and you have to know that going in and you just have to grind knowing that once the momentum, the momentum is the key thing. Once you get momentum, everything's going to start moving. Um, so I guess that's kind of um, the main thing I learned. And an example would be with my new business, which is just starting out. I mean, we're just now building a lead list of clients that we can serve. And it's, it's not a huge list right now, but we're kind of, you know, they're, they're definitely interested clients. It would be good fits. But my point is like in a year, I expect there to be a full lead flow always moving, but people can get frustrated at the beginning because it's so much work. You know, you're doing all this work and and contacting people and building things and building, and nothing's really, it it seems like nothing's happening, but that's because you don't have momentum yet. And, you know, once you have momentum, then everything becomes so much easier. So that's, um, I think the single biggest takeaway, if, especially if someone's starting something and they're frustrated and then like what you learn is that, um, you know, you have to work like five times harder than you ever would at a regular job to start a business right. because, um, what happens is there's just so much you have to do. You can't just compartmentalize things like you can at the typical job. And I, and I, and a lot of j- people work very, very hard, but it's just a little different when you're starting a business because you have to think of so many more, so many different things and your execution on each one of them has to be so good. And where you, people usually, um, also fall off is they are doing the work, but they're not, uh, achieving the results. So they're kind of like planning their time to do the work instead of planning their time to get the result. So that's another um, that's something you learn along the way. You know, it's one thing to do the work, but then you have to check, am I getting the results? And then actually just rephrase your goals instead of goals of, of, you know, spending time on this or, or, or setting up. I'm just saying like, and as an example of somebody setting up a drip campaign, like the goal is not to set up the drip campaign. The goal is to get clients to a certain stage in your funnel. And if you think of it that way, you're going to measure your results differently and and you might actually change how you set up your campaign. Um, and so those are some of the different ways of thinking, um, that I have now that I maybe didn't have at the beginning. 
Yeah, and those are huge. How did how did you, Luke, get yourself to stay consistent? Like you said at the beginning, it's so hard when you don't see those results right away. Did you reread your goals? Did you focus on the end result? What was it that that kept you on a, on a daily consistent grind to get that momentum going? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I think um, I don't think it's anything. I, and you know, I'd love to point out some special attribute. I mean, honestly, I'm just a I'm a pretty normal guy. I mean, I didn't get good grades in high school or anything. I'm just just your typical guy. But I think when you have an internal drive and you start something and there's pressure behind you, you know, I had a family, um, just bought a house. Um, those are good things. You know, a little bit of pressure is good. And, um, I think that kind of feeds on itself and then you don't want to fail and then you push harder because you need to make other goals. So I think a lot of it is, is just, um, pressure. And it's probably a lot of entrepreneurs will probably say the same thing. Um, you know, cause because not every entrepreneur is a perfectionist or not everyone, um, you know, had things handed to them. A lot of times, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs are, are people that did start in the same situation where I did, were, you know, not having a lot. And I think that adds that pressure that ends up being that driving force behind you. And then it can change, you know, later on in your career, different things can happen. But, um, you know, I think that's kind of the driving force. Yeah, I, I think that's huge. And I've talked to a lot of guys about that too, is that having that, like you said, that pressure, um, being comfortable can be deadly. <laughs> when yep. you're comfortable and don't have pressure, it you can fall into some some bad traps, bad habits, and and maybe get into like what you kind of touched on at the beginning of being very busy but not effective. So mm-hmm. you're doing a lot of stuff. You're thinking you're doing things, but you're really not getting closer or, or doing the effective stuff that needs to be done to get the outcome. You're just basically busy. And yep. uh, so, yeah, I think that that's huge. Now, with running these multiple businesses, what let's let's get into some actionable things, things that you've learned, Luke, um, as far as tips, strategies. Uh, maybe some tools you use, um, some philosophies, things that you use daily to manage your time and to be so effective with all these businesses and the podcasts and all these things that you're doing all at once. Sure. Um, I, I read a lot of books. Don't ask me right now for my favorite one because I always forget the titles, but I literally read like 50 books a year. Or not 50, but I read a lot of books. And um, That's great because I love books too. I'm a big book guy. Yeah. And so I've read a lot of the, so I guess to, we'll do one at a time here. So we'll start with like, uh, I think you asked about time management. Um, yeah. How do you, how do you do that with all these businesses? Yeah. So I'm a, well, here's the thing. Like, I mean, at this point I got a great team. So when you have, I know it's cliched for people to say this, but there is nothing more important than your team and you hire the best people. Um, it's only going to make your company and, and yourself even better. I mean, it, cause like I said, through your career, different things push you later on. It'll be your own team. You're not going to want to let them down. Um, you're not going to want to come in second, you know? So, so there's different things that are going to happen, you know, kind of through the, through the cycle. But anyways, back to, um, time management, like I've, I've read a lot of books on time management and after going through a, even trying different systems, I've kind of settled on a, a really simple system. Uh, gosh, I wish I knew the name of this book, but, uh, but essentially, um, there, there's two parts to it. Set up your most important things. Okay. MITs. 
as they're called in the book. And instead of, now I do make a task list. Absolutely. I write this stuff down, but the key to the book is don't work off a task list. It's, it's put those MITs into your calendar. And um, it's a little small nuance, but it makes a, a world of difference because what you realize is, um, especially, especially like, you know, when you have multiple businesses, what you realize is there's only a couple things that really move the needle. There's a lot of things that have to be done, but there's only a couple things that really, really move the needle. So that what that means is like your task list doesn't need to be a hundred items long. It could be, you know, if you need to fill a position, you know, really detailing out how you're going to find the best person for that position. If you need if you look at your sales, there's probably only under 10 things that are super important in the next three months. And, and really only three things that are probably really going to drive the, the differential of your sales, meaning like whatever you're doing to trend, how are you going to out-trend your sales? There's probably only a couple things. So then um, what you do is you just um, put those um, into your calendar. And then um, when you're running a business with employees, what I've learned a lot, even really, even just recently in this year is that a lot of that is building better reporting that creates better accountability and better communication. So, um, as simple as that sounds that that's kind of how, um, MITs might look at the beginning is, okay, how's your reporting with, um, with the key, um, team members, you know, sales, marketing, finance, and then really making sure you have the absolute best reporting that that's providing actionable insights um, and I can get into that if you wanted to kind of talk about different ideas, but, but that's how, and, and then once you have all of these, and then reporting is going to na- naturally lead to maybe quick meetings. So all of it's going to cascade down. So how that might look is, you know, if someone's the owner of a business and they have those, those functions reporting to them and they set up that really good reporting and then they set up their MITs outside of that reporting, which I can talk about, you're going to, you're going to have these meetings and you're your time is going to be managed by that calendar, by those meetings and and by that reporting. So it, it'll end up creating the accountability, I guess. So you're not kind of chasing your tail all the time. I mean, we all feel like that, but that's how you can chase less of your tail. Yeah. I think the big key, what you brought up is you need to track everything because you need to know what's going to move the needle the most. And if you're not tracking it, then you're just kind of randomly doing a bunch of things that, like you said, there's only a handful. It's like the old 80-20 principle, you know, the the small portion that actually gets you the 80% of the results. And that's what you, you as the, the main entrepreneur need to focus on because you have other people around you that can do the interviewing or, you know, go out and do some of the smaller tasks that are important, but not really going to move the needle, what you need to do as, as the business owner. So, Yep. Yeah, I think tracking stuff is, is where you're going to be able to focus to say, where do I really need to spend the time to move that needle? Yeah, exactly. And, that, and that's how we set the reporting up. It's it's a, it's in a tracker style. So all that information is conveyed and less questions are asked and it frees up time and, if, and there's better communication. So definitely that that's um, how I learned so far is the best way to do it. What have you found that's uh, been effective for you? Like, some things for interviewing or selecting good people to surround yourself with. Maybe you're outsourcing or, yeah. or, or hiring internally. Yeah. I mean, we do both. We've worked with um, some of the best agencies around here, the best people, um, done it ourselves. Um, you know, so it, it's hard. Uh, it, the first thing I'd say is it's so hard. Um, there isn't a magic formula, but I'll lay out a couple things. So, number one is have multiple interviews. I mean, some people even go, 
it, it, it can be tough in this in today's job environment, which means people are being uh, snapped up pretty quick. If, if you, if you leave them out there, if, if, if you're interested in making a hire, so you can't draw it out too long, but, um, having multiple interviews, because then you get to have lunch with somebody, you get to have key people on your team, meet them and bringing more of your leadership team into it. So, I mean, those are obvious things, but, um, we'll do different tests. So every, I guess this is a big differentiator for us is we have, um, a test, which is usually a presentation, depending on the level that we're bringing in. And you learn a lot from that. So if, you know, somebody's coming in and any of those functions, sales, marketing, finance, whatever it may be, um, then they would do a presentation with some sort of test. I'm not, I mean, a test maybe in marketing, like it might be something where we would put a goal for the next year and we'd give them some data and we would ask them how they would do it. And that'll let us see how they think. So I think that um, to, to simplify it, that's something that I would suggest everybody do. Yeah, I think that's huge. I don't, you know, this as being an entrepreneur. I mean, <clears throat> so many people do not know how to interview people. They'll read back their resume to them and basically see what's on there. But I think that's a huge um, point that you just brought up that people could actually incorporate is whatever task you're hiring for, give them some type of scenario based on some data. And like you said, how would they handle that? What is their thought process? And find more out about the person. So I think that's a a great, great effective thing that I'm sure you guys are doing and getting some good quality people through that process. Yeah. Especially when, when you have it down to the final two, um, you can really find out who's the best fit for your company. So just, I mean, just as marketing, for example, there's so many areas in marketing that people might have expertise in. And then a company might know what they really need help on. And so if they're bringing in a marketing leader and they have to perform and two people who are interviewing perform the same task or the same uh, presentation, and it's not just on presentation skills, there's got to be, you know, the thought and the strategy behind it. In, in 45 minutes for each person, you'll find out um, who's going to be a better fit. So that that's probably the biggest um, separator. We have a bunch of other little things we do, but um, that is hopefully one that the audience can can kind of think about. And you could really do it for any position. Yeah, that's true. How big is? Uh, I know you said you bring in your your other leadership and stuff in the process. How much do you guys focus on the person being a fit with the culture and the personalities and and what you're exemplifying instead of just looking at their skills and saying, "Wow, this person really is good at marketing." Do you guys weigh heavily on too? Are they a good fit with the personnel and the staff that we have here and the culture that we're creating? Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. There's definitely, there's definitely a newer way. And, um, everybody here, it, it's, it's funny when you have a company long enough and, and some of the people in our, like our leadership our, our main leadership teams, about 10 people. And we have leadership meetings and we have you know, goal setting. We call them OKRs. And, um, so everybody in that room definitely fits, um, the criteria and, um, and when we make hires, uh, several of those folks are going to be on the interview because it's going to affect their department or it might be their hire. And, um, definitely the culture aspect and that person kind of having that attitude that we're looking for, um, it's always going to come out. So it's, it's a key component. Yeah, that's huge. I like how you guys incorporate 
everybody into it because if it's going to affect them, they need to be in on it. And I think a lot of companies don't do that. They just say, okay, here's the hire, here's your person. And they're not part of that process to see if it is going to be a good fit. So yeah, so well, I mean, you guys got a great thing going. Yeah. I mean, you want, well, you, and it's good for me too. Cause you know, if it doesn't work out, then they can't come back to me. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are all involved in this. Yeah. It wasn't just me. It's good to hand that off. Definitely. Now I want to touch on here, Luke. I know one of your expertise and things that you talk about is um, brainstorming, coming up with ideas of products or businesses to launch. What can you share if somebody's either wanting to start a business, a process to go through that, or maybe they have something going and they're looking to add a new business or a new service and they're trying to come up with ideas? What, what kind of practices that you can share with people or a, a process that they can use? Sure. Okay. So I'll walk you through. I'll, I'll tell you how I, how I started a retail band. I mean, it's the yeah, same. I'll, I'll give you exactly. It's, there's no rocket science to it. I'm sure there's other people have better ways or different ways. Um, the first thing I would say is it's probably surprising how few time, how little time each of us spends in quiet thought. Okay. Yeah. I'm just going to say that. So, and that goes for me. That, that That's probably um, I mean, just from what I see in society, like, uh, you know, there's a shortage of that. Unless so, you're a monk. Unless you're <laughs> exactly if you're a regular person in America, then yeah, it's rare. It's hard, you know? And, uh, most folks, you know, they might already have a job or they might have a family like everybody, you know, we all have obligations, right? Less, you know, the least maybe is, is if you're a student or you're just graduating or something. So, um, so that's the first thing is is what I did. And literally this is how I did it. I just, on a Saturday morning, usually early Saturday, I can wake up, have a cup of coffee and, and get some work done. So, um, I just knew that I had to start something else and I can get into that later. Why? But I mean, quickly, it was just because there, I saw the opportunity. Okay. And, um, but I needed, uh, I just had the itch to do something else. So I, so the first thing is, what are you good at? I know this is, these are common sense things, but you have to write down what, what are you good at? Where are your skills? And, and the format would be writing this information down, not just thinking about it. Um, we don't, none of us are going to have good enough memories to organize writing and compartmentalize things. So, and, and, and I just do it in front of a computer and I'm using, um, Microsoft 360 OneNote, which is a pretty cool tool too. It's, it's kind of like Evernote and you can just capture all your notes and journals and all that stuff in there. So what do you get at? Um, what are the, what are the markets? What are the available markets? Okay. And then number three, um, find after you put those things together, find nuances where there's no competition. This is the toughest one. And what I mean by that is um, there's a book called um, so the blue ocean theory. I think it's called blue ocean strategy. I think blue yeah. ocean strategy. Yeah. About, yeah. Yeah. So good book about um, how most businesses are in a red ocean, like a bloody ocean of fighting and competition. And we should all be looking in the blue ocean where there's plenty of room to swim around. And if you have the luxury to start a business in that category, then your pitch doesn't have to be why you're better than the next person doing the same exact thing you're doing. It, it's, it's a great place to be. So that's so I, I frame that into, into my decision process. And then, um, you know, probably went through a couple of different, I can't remember all the different um, check boxes that I have, but the, it, it's really just starts with that. And you start writing down ideas. Okay. You know, I can start an agency or I can do, you know, another kind of business, or I can do this business. And then you think about, um, I guess another checkbox is, 
with your current assets or um, capability or people that are with you, can they be utilized in this business? And then other ones are around funding, like how much is it going to take take for startup capital? Um, you know, I mean, there, there's you could go on and on and create a whole business plan. But the idea is, one, you just do a couple of those things, and then somebody's going to write down five things they're good at. Um, hopefully, they like those five things, and then you kind of can narrow that down. Then you actually start looking at the types of businesses that are in those different categories, and then you f- try to find differentiators and how you can position yourself. And there's probably a couple different levels of positioning. Um, at, at the at the root of it, most people are going to be in a very similar industry to somebody else and try to position themselves differently, and that's perfectly fine. But it's best if you can be in a totally different category where you're not competing. And because then what you can do, you know, you can focus on offering the best service and not worrying about price, which is where I want to be. Yeah, that price uh, <clears throat> battle is 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 not a winning battle at all. Now, so. And, and, you know, I mean, I had a lot, you know, I mean, again, it's going to be different for everybody. I'm, I'm very fortunate. I mean, I have a business that's already running great. So it's, I didn't have to rush things and I didn't have to take on stuff. I didn't want to have to take on. And I can, I could then write up a plan and, and kind of put in, um, what my goals were and types of business I wasn't interested in taking, you know, like we're purposely not taking Amazon, even though Amazon's a huge category. There's plenty of people that run Amazon businesses for other companies and we can do it, but it's not where I want to position myself. So we just left that off the table. And I would say, then as, as you, you know, before you even get to the business plan and I, I knew this is a popular thing right now, but niching down, I think is really important, you know, starting out with the smallest niche possible. Um, you can always build your prospect list later on, but when you niche down, that's the best way that you're going to differentiate yourself. And, and, um, you know, it's the only hard part is then you really are throwing out a lot of potential prospects just for those few, but those conversations are much easier and, um, it's worth every penny to, to kind of frame it in that, in that mindset. Yeah. I mean, that's a controversial thing. Well, I, I don't want to say controversial, but there's a lot of debate I've heard on things where, don't niche down so specific. You're you're eliminating other options, and then there's other people saying, "No, niche down, get specific, and and target on that market, and be the expert in that particular niche." So, do you think that philosophy, which I like the niche philosophy, I think that's a great one. Do you think that applies in a lot of different services and businesses, Luke? Yeah, I I do. I mean, there's there's certain areas where you have to really think about. I mean, who, who is, okay, what, what does your startup look like? And what is a startup team and what is the funding? I mean, if you're going to be venture back, then you're going to have to have a certain amount of scale to be able to provide a reasonable return on the money. Um, if you're bootstrapped, then it's totally different. So every industry is going to be different. I mean, some businesses have to disrupt an industry. Otherwise they're not even successful. Like the goal has to be that big because there's so much money going into it. And then, um, but that's not the majority, you know, those are, those are businesses that have to IPO in five years and, and those are the big unicorns out of Silicon Valley. And those are the ones everybody hears about. And then there's, you know, a couple levels down, but the vast majority, I would, I would, I'm just totally throwing out a guess, but I would say 80% of business startups or more should just totally niche down and just be the, the best and own the message 
because what happens is in marketing is, um, and I mean, this is even a challenge for my new business because it's, we're, we're going into a space that doesn't even have any, you're not even a way to explain what we do because not a lot of people even understand it, but, um, owning your message is, is really important and being clear about your message. So when you're spending dollars on advertising and the, the, uh, recipient doesn't have to think about what you do and there's less friction, then you're going to get a, a much better return on spend. And everything you do is going to be a lot better because your, your whole message is going to be cohesive. So that's kind of the value of, of, of niching down. And then also you become the best at something. And then when you bring people on, there's usually more clear SOPs and how to do the process. Um, you're repeating the same work over and over again for people. If it's an agency or you're, or if it's a product, you're making the best product right in a certain category. Um, so that's, so I, I definitely subscribe that. I think it's for the majority of entrepreneurs, it's um, the best way to start. No, I totally agree. And, and I like hearing that because that, that's been my philosophy. Just for the points that you brought up, Luke, is one, it, it can be more of a blue ocean strategy for you. Because <laughs> if you're specific to a niche or an industry doing a specific thing for them, you're eliminating a lot of people that are more of a generalist. Plus, you're not going to be competing on price then because you're going to be the best of the best at that. So exactly. I, I think those things are, are so huge to basically go into. So I, I believe in that line of thinking too. So I like to ask those things because there's a lot of different things about should you do this or shouldn't. One of the things you brought up that kind of falls into that category too is you said sit and think about what you're good at, what your skills are. What are your thoughts around someone doubling down on their skills or should one focus on their weaknesses and start improving those? Oh yeah, no, that's, that's a great question. Um, I would definitely not focus on your weaknesses. <laughs> so I would, I would focus on what you're best at. I, I don't know. I've just seen it time and time with people. It's really hard. I mean, people are just, I mean, we'll probably, you know, learn more in the next 50 or hundred years, but it just seems like once people enter the workforce, um, they're generally going to have certain predispositions where they're really, really good at certain things and other things, maybe they're not, which is totally fine. And I've seen just bigger gains on people working on what they're good at. And the other thing is, um, you know, the, the relationship of value that drives from what somebody's good at versus what they're not good at. I mean, it's logarithmic. It's, it's, it's multitudes. It's not, you know, someone doesn't deliver 50% better results. They might deliver a 500 or 5,000% better results on something they're good at. And so it's really hard to make up that difference on things you're not good at. Um, yeah, but I no. think, you know, the tougher thing is actually knowing what you're good at and not good at. Hopefully you have uh, people close to you that can tell you that, or you're self-aware and you realize what those things are. Um, that, that part can be tricky sometimes. Yeah, no, that's huge. I think asking people, you know, what are my strengths? What do you see? Because we're so close to ourselves. You know how it is. We we take things for granted that we do easy, that we think Psh, that's that's no big deal. And other people are looking at it as like, wow, you have that gift. You can do such and such. So yep. yeah, I think the self-awareness, working on that is important. And then surrounding yourself by people that'll be honest and tell you and share. Yep. Yep. hundred percent. It's, it's hard to find those people and you kind of always have to, you know, people are always going to tell you the good stuff. So you almost have right. to pull it out of them. Yeah. But that's fine. You're asking for it. 
Exactly. <laughs> Share yeah. it with me. I mean, right, I want to kind of switch little gears. I, I love the detail that you're going into, Luke. So I appreciate you sharing these specifics. Great. I want to kind of jump from, okay, we've kind of gone over how to start an idea, brainstorm and, and come up with something. Let's say now we want to start something. Let's say, for example, you've done this with launching products. What are some things you can share on how to go about launching a product online? And I know you talk about gaining sales quickly. What are some of the things that you do to launch the product and then start gaining sales on it and getting momentum going? Sure. So the first thing I would say is that it's really hard, like we talked about earlier. And um, and I think a lot of times people don't, their mind, their mindset is not ready for that. You know, they, they give up too early. They, they hit a brick wall. They don't get sales. Something doesn't work. They give up. So the first thing is you got to put a longer time horizon on it. Um, this is the prep work that's got to go into your head. I mean, you got to say, okay, this isn't going to happen in a week. It might take three months. Um, this is how I'm going to know I'm successful after a month. If I reach this milestone, you can't, I mean, these things sound like it's, you know, why not just get out there and do it? But you have to think about these things. So you got to write these things out. What does it look like over the next three months? What are the main things you need to do to achieve? And every week, make sure you're updating this in a journal or, or your notes. And then, um, and then, so we're talking about a product. So then of course you probably already have a product idea and hopefully you have sourced the product already. I mean, if you, if you haven't sourced it, there's, I mean, a million different ways that could happen, that can happen, but let's just say you've already sourced the product. Um, right now, obviously there's a lot of tariffs in China, but there's all kinds of places around the world that you can source a product. Now getting from not having anything to sourcing a product, that's a big jump. So that that's a whole conversation in and of itself. Um, but it's one of those things where, you know, if you don't have any expertise, it's going to seem like a monumental task, but once you get in there and start, you know, find a mentor, ask people questions and just start grinding a little bit every day, it, it what's going to happen is your vision is going to start becoming more clear. So it's just going to start foggy and you're going to think there's no hope. And then you're going to see it's not that difficult and you'll find the different avenues. But like, you know, for example, um, you know, you go to Alibaba or you can go to the Canton um, fair in China. And I mean, there's immediately you can hop on a plane and go to the Canton fair, which is a massive fair that happens twice a year in China. And in two weeks, you're going to have plenty of products to source. Um, and there's fairs in other countries as well. So that's the, just a quick idea of how, how that can be overcome. So anyways, you have a product. So then you got to think about um, what channel you're going to sell that product into. And a lot of these things are probably predetermined. So this might be obvious for some, but for those who haven't done it, these are things to think about. And so what I mean by channel is, are you going to sell this direct to consumer yourself? Are you going to sell it on Amazon? Are you going to use another channel? Could be like a William Sonoma, or is it a higher end product that's going to go into those stores? Um, is it going to be a combination of all of them? So that's the channel. And then you got to think about um, the channel strategy. So is it going to be, just go into, if it's going to go into multiple stores, you're going to have to think about what your channel strategy is. Are you going to need um, multiple SKUs to help you with that? Because some of those channels or let's call them retailers don't want to conflict with others. And right now everybody's kind of taking the easy route and they, they just put it up on Amazon, which is perfectly fine. Um, but if you're able to do a direct to consumer approach, you're going to get the most value because you're going to own the customer. But you know, Amazon has all of the customers. That's why everybody goes there. And so then once you launch, you're going to have to think about um, 
how you increase your sell through to those customers. So with Amazon, the problem is you don't own the customer you're selling. There's different ways you can remarket, but it's, it's, it's tough and it's limited and it could be expensive. And, um, then you have to think about that strategy of how you can own more of the customers. And then, um, you know, then I guess we get into the product launch. So you want me to kind of go into like the different advertising ways or is there a different um, avenue? Yeah, you I'd like to hear like, uh, and a little bit of both if you have it, like if you're doing marketing to, you know, B2B or you're being doing to customers, what type of, have you found are good effective strategies, whether it's a platform or a type of marketing or something that can kind of give someone a direction to, to maybe start out with? Okay, sure. So what I'll explain now is what we do at Retail Band. Um, which is, so selling in B2B, so we'll call B2B selling to another retailer, like a Wayfair or Home Depot. Okay. And because yeah. they're, they're acquiring the customer Now you could sell in store or you could sell online. So we'll just call that, that that's just a different channel, the in-store channel versus the online channel. And the online channels are growing a lot quicker. So there's a lot of interest in the online channels. The in-store channels are a lot bigger. Um, so we'll talk about the online channel. So what you do is you have a product and you think, let's say it's in a furniture category or something like that. And it could be great for Wayfair and maybe even good for Home Depot. Um, what you have to think about is what are the levers that are going to drive sales on these other retailers? So you're doing everything yourself to sell it yourself, direct to consumer. And, you know, your listeners can find that information a thousand different ways, but you know, you're building out your audience and your SEO and all that, but now you got to find a way to sell it on Wayfair and you got to find a way to sell it on Home Depot. So, you got you to gotta go get accounts with these guys, which is, you know, the table stakes and the, 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 the basic setup. And then once you're on there, you have to think about the, the biggest mistake. So this is the start off point. The biggest mistake people make is they just list the product and it's not Amazon. So it's not as easy as Amazon. Amazon lets you do everything yourself. These other sites are maybe not as easy. They, they don't always have endless aisles. Products have to be approved. You can't just list anything. And what happens is um, people let, you know, just kind of let the product, you know, the sales go on their own. They don't, they're not driving it. They're thinking, oh, well, Home Depot has it. Let's see what happens. And they kind of wait. And that's the same mistake people were making 10 years ago on Google. You know, they would list a product and they'd say, well, okay, my site's up. Let's see if I get any customers. And they weren't actually going out and doing anything. Well, people are doing the same thing right now with these other retailers. And really it's because what they don't understand is that each one of these retailers has its own algorithm on the back end, their own SEO that has to be applied. They're always changing. And you have to know that per each retailer. So it's actually gotten more complicated. And, and so what you have to do is you got to, is you got to list the product and then each retailer has what we, you know, what, what I just said is a platform. Okay. And dip multiple portals sometimes. And you have to know what to do inside each one of them to maximize the position to set up promos, to update the best content, to um, make sure your titles are SEO optimized and understand how the search function works on each one of these retailers. And then also you have to go win a buyer relationship because the buyers can pull levers for you. It's not just all automated. And then on the back end with influencer marketing, so those are all the things you do on the platform. And then you have to say to yourself, now I need to build awareness to my product and you need to go think about how you're going to do that. It could be with blogs. It could be um, YouTube videos, um, content, some content creation you're doing on your yourself. But what we like to do is work with influencers. 
So again, in this furniture idea, um, if you got your product out with 10 per SKU, if you got it out with 10 to 20, um, let's call it micro influencers. And you, and what we do is we work with people on YouTube. So they're getting YouTube videos with a high SEO quality, evergreen content. And if you think, and then you're going to get a product review. So if you think about it, what happened is you, you took 10 of your samples, you worked with influencers to go create 10, um, very worthwhile videos because they're going to include, um, third party, authentic uh, communication about your product. So it's not you talking about it, it's somebody else. And that's what consu- that's who consumers want to hear from. They really don't believe the brands anymore. You know, consumers are skeptical. So, but they believe the influencers because those are the, the folks that they follow. And now you're getting those influencers to talk about your product and then to get, leave a review. And then we really like YouTube because Instagram is so easy now, but the thing is it's not searchable as well as YouTube is. So YouTube is kind of like, like creating that great content that's always there. And depending on how you title it, you know, you could title it as, um, you know, using words like review and best of, and put years in and then get the exact, um, keywords that you think are important to rank on and create these beautiful videos, or they, they're going to create very authentic, beautiful videos. And when you do that, what happens is you're going to drive reviews. So your products are going to all of a sudden go from zero to some number of reviews. That's going to be helpful. And the reviews have to be authentic so that some of them may not be good and have to follow all the appropriate guidelines for those reviews. But the thing is that authenticity is really important to the consumer. And then what you're going to do is you're going to have content out there. So as people you know, look at your product and they see a brand and they go search it on Google, now those videos are showing up. Other people are talking about these products. Some of them are probably, you know, talking, you know, positive comments and some of them incredible comments. It's, it's going to be a range because it's authentic. And anyways, it's a long story, but that's how, you know, we would launch and drive sales on a product. No, that's great. I love the detail. Now, are you finding that these influencers, are they allowing you to kind of have control like of what message you want delivered or are you kind of getting them on board and they're creating the video and you're kind of giving them an outline or how detailed are you able to control that message with those marketers, those influencers? And Brian, that's a, that's a great question. So not, you don't want to control it because it's their authentic message. Um, and you want to let them, they already have a way that they've, that they speak to their audience. So you really truly do want them to review the product. Um, in a natural way that they feel, uh, you know, that they truly are expressing their feelings about that product. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Yeah. I like that. Cause I was wondering if you're basically saying, Hey, here's a script or something, or you're giving it to them and they're, I think that's the best way, like what you're saying, because it's authentic, it's coming from them. They've reviewed the product and they're going to give their opinion on it. And if you've yep. got a good product, then you really shouldn't have to worry. And if you're not getting good feedback, then you need to jump back, reevaluate and see what you need to tweak and improve on. Yeah. To get you got to you have a good product. It has to start with a good product. Yeah, definitely. Now, have you had a lot of mentors along the way, Luke, or is it mainly from um, just working around good people with you or books or, or where have you got a lot of your support and knowledge along the way as you've been growing your businesses and building? Yeah, that, that's a good question. I actually, you know, I've learned so much from books 
and I, I, it's funny, I was actually reflecting on this. I don't know when it was a, a couple of weeks ago, but a lot of my, you know, a lot of the most important decisions are not based on books. I was, I was actually disappointed. I was like, man, I read all those for nothing, but you know, it's like anything else. It gives you more context. And, and, and I, I just, you know, you learn so many important things about life, but, um, to your question, I'm in a couple of, uh, CEO groups or I've been in a couple. I'm in, um, just one right now. And, uh, that that's definitely one way. So I would say the two different ways are being in CEO groups and then networking with the, you know, most impactful people in, you know, your category, your business category. And in between that, you're able to meet people and, you know, you don't, you want to always be giving more than you're receiving. I've, I've found that's really important. Um, but along the way, if you're doing that, you're going to be mixing with, with people who have already been there. And those are the people that can guide you. Yeah. That's true. Surrounding yourself with those successful people and learning from them and, and giving. I like how you said that because I don't know. Are you familiar with uh, Joe Polish? No. He started Genius Network. He's out here in Arizona and he's, he's just a connector. He's friends with Richard Branson and he's with uh, Tony Robbins and Dean Graziosi and mm-hmm. just all these people. And he has a genius network where he basically all this, these people are coming together, all these entrepreneurs and successful people, all different industries that meet for, I don't know, five, seven days in his office and they brainstorm marketing and all different strategies. You should check out his, uh, I love marketing podcast. He does with a co-host Dean Jackson and they yeah, just I'm writing it down. Yeah. It's just a lot of great content. And I've had the good fortune of going out to his office here in Tempe, Arizona, probably about three times. And I've been able to connect with him through there and then at different events around town. And one of his sayings is life gives to the giver and takes from the taker. And he's really big on giving to people. And that's what he's done. He gives so much and he's built these relationships with people because he doesn't go in looking for something. He builds the relationship through a genuine process. So yeah, he's a real good guy to follow if you're really into direct response marketing and you're not into the big brand where you're just throwing dollars out to get your name out, but you want to get results from your marketing. It's a good podcast to listen to. And he's had a lot of great guests on there too. A lot of people, you'll know, big time. Awesome. I got that one written down, but yeah, I totally, I totally agree. And I think it's kind of like, it's like the rookie networking mistake is where people go in there and it's all about them. And, and they're, and, you know, and it's like this in the, you know, they they have to get value in the first 30 minutes or they're leaving. And, yeah. uh, and, you know, and it's like, I'm not, I'm not, go, I'm not talking about network, networking events. Like I'm talking about events that I go to that are very organic, you know, it could be an important trade conference or even just business meetings or even people who, who you just do work with. And you ask them literally people who you're doing, you know, who are implementing a system at your work, but then you ask them about their business. I mean, they're business owners too. And, um, it's those types of things that are kind of more authentic that I, that I've definitely found a lot of value in and, uh, totally agree with, with your comments. Yeah. I mean, don't you find the organic way is so much better. I mean, it's so old school to go to those meetings. And like you said, throw out a business card to everybody and expect them to call you and hustle, hustle on that instead of giving value, maybe going in and saying, you know, me and you meet and you're like, Hey, Brian, here's a great strategy. I think you could do for X, Y, Z. And you gave me something just without any, you know, 
expectation expectation on your part of me coming back with something, but you gave because you said, hey, I could see how this can really help you. I've done this in my business. I think it would be a good fit for you. And then building yeah. those relationships because you genuinely want to help somebody, not saying, I'll give you this if you give me this back. Or, or are you seeing these big affiliate online marketing where everybody's promoting for everybody else because you promoted for me? Yep, and I exactly. just- I have such a hard time with that because it's like, if I don't believe in that product, just because you promoted for me, you got to have something good for me to promote back. You know, it's, it's gotta be a win-win or win-win, I should say, win for you, win for me and win for the customer. So. Yeah. And it takes time. You know, sometimes people think it's, you know, it's it's super, there's not, there's not always a quick fix to everything. So it's, it's going to take some time, but then you have more value in the end. You have, you know, real authentic friendships and relationships. Yeah, I think that the thing now is you got to think long term. It's not the quick hits. It's this is a lifetime relationship for maybe this business venture or whatever other business ventures you create. It may not come to you this year. It may be five years down the road where that relationship that you've built genuinely, you start getting something from in return as as far as information or business or something. But it's coming organically because you've built a true relationship with that individual. Yep. Yep. Perfect. Definitely agree. So how important do you feel mindset has been to your success, Luke? Um, I mean, honestly, it's, it's, it's the most important thing because, um, I just think most people give up or most people, because I, I, I'll, let me go back. Like, I think more people could be successful entrepreneurs. And I know a lot of people you know, want to start a business and entrepreneurs is a cliche term and it's overused. So let's just say business owners, not, you know, not trying to sound like it's, it's something so special. You own a business. And I think more people could be successful at it if they didn't give up early. Okay. And if they kind of push themselves a little bit more, which is kind of why they give up, I think, because people don't push themselves. They kind of treat it like a job. You know, yes. and you go home, you're done. Well, you, it, unfortunately, you're not done. Like this is, you know, you just you got to give up TV. It's like this is what you got to do. You got to grind. You got to spend more and more time thinking about it, not just doing it. And um, I think that's where mindset's valuable because um, it, it, you know, like my mindset is just that you got to just grind. Like it's going to happen. I, I have no doubt that I'll be successful in any in anything I can that I can put my time into, but not. It, uh, but it may not happen immediately. I just know that that time's going to be involved and I may have to find different ways for it to work. Um, and I don't think that's unique. That's probably what, how most entrepreneurs and business owners think. So that, that that's kind of where, how I see it. Now, what habits do you feel have been the biggest contributors to your success? Um, I mean, there's so many people talking now, the, the success habits and all that. What have you found yeah. personally that you say, man, these two, three core habits that I consistently do on a daily or weekly, monthly basis are really, let's say, move the needle for you personally and also in your business? Yeah, I would say that, well, even before I answer that, I would say that, that, that you know, people listening, if you're thinking of starting, it's like, it's, it's not rocket science. And they... And, and it, there shouldn't be, 
don't look at the end of the journey, how far it's going to get there. So I think the habit is just like, you know, just a very basic phrase that I like, or something to live by is just do it. You know, the Nike motto. Yeah. Um, but you know, it keeps it real simple. So that that's a habit that I have is, is that if I think something's going to work, I do it. And I don't think about it, you know, 18 different ways. I definitely call I definitely write down and plan things, but not to the extreme that's going to stop me because, um, that's where some people who are, are too smart for their own good. You know, like I said, I'm just an average guy and, and some people are just, they're so smart and they plan everything out, but they never do anything. And, uh, I think, um, that's the, that the basic habit there of just do stuff, like actually go out and do things and have a plan so that when you're doing thing one and thing two and thing three, they're all kind of each is leading to the next and you're growing. So you're not going in you know, disparate directions. But um, that's what I would just encourage people to think about. It's pretty, pretty basic. But it's true. Take action. <clears throat> a lot of people hold themselves back because they overanalyze and overthink things and don't take that action that's needed. So I think it's perfect. What uh, Are there any business philosophies through your years of building businesses that you've found that kind of go against the norm that have helped you to become successful? You know, there's all these rules, like you need to do the 15 rules of these habits of these successful. Are there anything that you found that like, man, this is not in any book, but man, this has really helped me become successful. Yeah, that that's a good question. I mean, they're, they're probably I'll have to think about that because there's so many, there's so many words of advice out there. So I have to think about well, what's against the norm, right? <laughs> it's like everybody has an, an advice book now, but, um, I would say, um, that, well, I don't know if it's against the norm, but surprised you that you were like, wow, I didn't think that would have that much benefit or that much impact, but thinking yeah, probably back- just working on less things is, is probably it. And, Cause even that is now kind of in favor, but, but in general, it's like, you know, there's a book called the one thing and, uh, yes. yeah, it's, it's a good book. It, it, it's, it's something that especially, you know, new business owners think about and focusing on less things and asking yourself all these questions. Why is this important? Why do I need to do this? why is this more important? And, and it basically has a little strategy that works your way backwards and, and, and you focus on your one thing. It could be one thing in life, one thing in business, one thing spiritually, so on and so forth. And, um, so I think, uh, that's the, the thing that stood out for me. And, and I guess it's in vogue now, but I think the book just came out probably like three years, four years ago, something like that. So it's, it's pretty recent. Um, and definitely if I have, so here at new air, we have, uh, I have a, business book library. And they're not just business books. I got some biographies and we have about probably like 30 different titles. Don't, don't ask me how lot of them in front of me, but I can give you a couple, but, but, uh, we have that. And that's, that's one of the books I, I have over there. And I actually give that book to a lot of the folks here at the company or I've given it to some of them just because I can tell if people are just too, you know, they're, they're too scattered or they're having a hard time, like really understanding what's important. I think that that's a good guiding book. Yeah, I think that's a great book to give out, especially if you get people that are working for you and you know good books that are really going to help them to have. So yeah. I, I I definitely recommend that book to anybody listening if they haven't read it. That is a good book. Are there any other? I know you got so many books and title stuff, but are, are there any other ones that come to mind or stuff that you've kind of given to other people that you found that were really beneficial to you that you can think of offhand? Yeah, I mean, so on the... um on the, uh, so I read a book called Titan about John D Rockefeller. It's a very long book, mm, but okay. it is a great 
biography, um, shoe dog, uh, yes. founder of Nike. Incredible. That's an incredible, I'm that's maybe one of the right best. now on my shelf, Luke. Oh, cool. Yeah. It's, that's a very inspiring book. Um, and that's a great one for any business owner or aspiring owner because of the challenges, um, that he had to go through, you know, from the very beginning of Nike and, uh, kind of shows you from scaling from zero up to, you know, multi-billion. Um, and then, uh, this is a couple of other, uh, the hard thing about hard things is, I think, I think that's what it's called. That's a really good one as well. Um, hmm, I haven't about, heard that one. yeah, yeah, definitely ought to check that one out. Uh, it's, it's just a very raw book. I wish I had the author in front of me, but, um, about a, just about a startup all the way from startup through multiple challenges to final exit and just how hard things are, you know, in, in the startup and in business world. And then some of the obvious ones, you know, like the, the think and grow rich, um, uh, uh you know, in, in different Napoleon Hill books and, um, and, and I, we, we just have a whole library. I can, I can send you a photo afterwards. Actually, I'll show you, I'll yeah, show you some of the cool. titles that we have. Yeah. So we have some cool Def- books. Yeah. Here. Cause we can put some stuff in the show notes. Cause I'll definitely link up the ones that you mentioned in there. Cause I want to check out that one that uh, I'm not familiar with that you just brought up. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you'll like it. Have, uh, how has fear been with you through, throughout your career as an entrepreneur? Do you face that a lot or are you pretty, pretty secure with uh, your abilities and stuff or do you do you face it from time yeah yeah of course i mean constant i mean that's okay yeah that's most people do but i know some people are they say hey not as bad and stuff because because i think it's a huge factor that holds a lot of people back you know um doubting their abilities lack of confidence um, maybe worrying about finances constantly what have you found that has worked for you to, I guess, basically get courageous and move through that fear to keep going, to be consistent and not let it stop you. Yeah. That's a, that's a great question, Brian. So yeah, I mean, that's, I think every entrepreneur has to go through that. I mean, come on, depending where, where you are. I mean, if you're balancing family and you have real life stuff going on and then you have a business and maybe you have inventory, um, you have employees that you, you have to be there for. I mean, you know, as in a business owner, you're responsible. I know it's cliched. Everybody can say these things, but it's true. You know, when you have 50 team members and, and, and you really, you know, you have to care for them and make sure that the business is, is going to be in a solid standing. So I would say, um, <clears throat> definitely have had to um, deal with that in multiple cases. I mean, just think about it from the financial crisis all the way through, you know, other things and tariffs and all this stuff. It, it's a normal thing. And I would say, um, what I've done is writing things down. So again, it's funny. You can kind of solve a lot of things by writing pros and cons. You, you know, you can have all these, I, I just think like in, when you have problems, you got to write stuff down. People think in their head and they can just kind of trip themselves out too much. But when you write it down and you say, okay, where am I really right now? You know, what is my, what's my standing right now? And then you say, what are all of the positive outcomes what are the potential negative outcomes? You write, literally write them down and you make a comparison chart. And what do I have going for me? What do I have going against me? And um, what I found is that when you write that down, it kind of removes the fear and anxiety because you realize that, you know, a lot of it is just kind of like made up in your head and um, things are actually going to be just fine. You may um, still have challenges and struggles, but 
there's, there's going to be, you know, light at the end of the tunnel and you just kind of have to maybe work your way through those things. So that's uh, the process I've used. Yeah. I think it's a great process because I, I'm a writer. I love to write stuff down. I don't usually type stuff on computers. I like to write it out on a piece of paper. So I got paper all over the place with notes and different things that I, I write down. But I think getting it out of your head when you're so caught up in your head and it's just stuck in your head and you're trying to sort it out in your mind, whether you're trying to go to sleep or you're doing stuff or you got a family thing that you need to go to, but you're worried about the business. I think when it's left in your head, it just stays as a problem. So I think that's so powerful, just writing it down, getting it out of your head, looking at it. And then, like you said, looking at the pros and the cons and just looking at it for what it is instead of running it through your head and just having it bounce around in there and thinking all these negative what if scenarios that will never, ever happen. Yeah. I I think, you know, in our head, we're very, you know, your head's really good at being creative, but I don't think it's always good at, you know, comparing reality. So that's the best way I can say it. I mean, maybe it is for some people who are like natural engineers and mathematicians and stuff, but for the average person, um, yeah. You got to write it down. Absolutely. What is one of the biggest challenges that you faced while being an entrepreneur? Oh man, the biggest, there's so many. It's like yeah. every year there's Something every year there's a new challenge you had and, yeah. and what did you learn from it? What Think of one of them that you had that was a big challenge that maybe you overcame or you didn't, but you learned something really valuable from it. Cause I, okay. I, the reason I ask this is because a lot of people say, you know, what are your failures and stuff? And I like to call them undesired outcomes. I don't like to call them failures because you're going to usually learn something from it. So yep. even if it's something that wasn't a success for you, but you learned something so valuable that's really helped you with your next business or on a next project that you're doing. Yeah. So the biggest, well, I would say this. So with New Air, we made a big pivot around 2012, 2013. So we used to be hundred percent direct to consumer business. Um, so for like, I've been fortunate enough to kind of get all of that experience. So we started the first 10 years selling hundred percent direct to consumer along with some Amazon and channel business, but most of it was on the website. And then I kind of, um, saw as, as plenty of others did that the landscape was changing. SEO results were harder to come by. All the big box retailers started to rank. Um, you're having to compete with them for advertising spend. So, um, PPC costs at the time were getting more expensive. And so we literally started a new business at the same time that my current business was kind of stalling uh, because we had all up to that point had been growth, lots of growth every single year and it's kind of stalling. And we um, started the new business and that's where I started up the Luma Comfort brand to test, to sell that into um, wholesale. So we went and sourced products, you know, made a special trip to China just for that, built new relationships and it was challenging because we we're investing a ton of time and money into new inventory. Um, the business, again, like I said, kind of hit a little plateau, which when you're used to growing and you hit a plateau, even though, you know, where we are at was great, but you know, you have your built-in costs and everything are kind of built, assuming that you're going to have this future growth. And um, it was a, a very, very tough year of developing this new business And then, but the fortunate thing is it paid off because now about 95% of our 
business. So then I, it worked out so good. I just converted the newer brand into that model. So we'll call that the B2B model selling into other retailers. And now the focus is only on new air mainly. And, um, so it's been incredible. Like it's, it's transformed the business and we're not having to, uh, chase down, you know, customer acquisition all the time. Although we still do that really well, but it's just a smaller segment of the business. So that was a challenging time. And then through that, I had to, um, you know, change up my team quite a bit. So then what that required is over the ensuing five years, a total restructure of the company. Wow. And it's, it's, it's really difficult. Yeah. You go, uh, you know, there's a, you, you know, when a company has, when a company gets to about 30 employees, a lot of things have to change that that's, that's another thing I've learned. So once you kind of hit that, that number, you have to start bringing in really strong leaders. And oftentimes a company may not, may not have those leaders because they just grew by doing things. Okay. And, and, and so it's a total change of the culture and you have to bring in um, different folks that are going to have a vision and leadership in their departments, because then you're actually having, you know, defined departments and more structure and all of that happened after that, you know, to kind of create the company that we have now. So, um, but it was, it, it was tough. And that's why, you know, even when now I'm doing my new startup, I know I'm, I'm more patient now because I'm not, well, I, I wouldn't say I'm more patient, but <laughs> I'm not a very patient person, but I have more uh, uh, context and, you know, I can, I can kind of draw on that experience to know it's going to be fine. It's just going to take some time. Right. But that's huge to have that experience, to know the process that you're going to get to. Because before that, everything was new. Like you said, you get to that 30 person. Now you're going above it. That's a whole nother game. That's a whole nother way of thinking about the business and bringing other parts, other people to run parts that you never had to before. So yeah, that, that must've been a huge learning process to go through that. And to have that experience now going into your new business must be a little bit of a comfort because you kind of, like you said, have that context and you, you can kind of see things even though you want them now, but you kind of understand the process. So yeah, yeah, I think that's huge. Yeah. And that's like overall, you know, the most fun thing of business is honestly learning new things, trying new things and and just meeting all those people along the way. So that kind of goes right into that experience. I mean, when you're in the middle of it, it can seem like the end of the world, but and on the other end of it, you're, you're just so grateful that you have all this information you learned and um, I guess that's, you know, that's why most consultants are, are going to be experienced, right? They have to have all of those, uh, life learnings to get to that right, point. Definitely. Now, would you say you're a, a curious person, Luke? Do you have a, like a curious? Oh, yeah. yeah. hundred percent. Yep. I'm always that's asking I, questions. I think, and, I think it's a huge benefit to, to have that type of curiosity about things. Yeah. I mean, it, well, it just makes it more fun. You know, I always want to try new things and, and, you know, ask a lot of questions. And I think a lot of, a lot of folks are kind of have that because you can you kind of have to, 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 um, not be satisfied with where you already are. Yeah. But it opens you up to, I think, to, to look for solutions. Mm-hmm. Yep. Halting yourself. You're, you're curious because you figured there's gotta be a way, there's gotta be something and you're, you're interested in exploring those options. So I think it opens up a lot more than being so close-minded and, oh, that's not working, you know? Oh yeah, no. And definitely like you hit the nail on the head is, is, is you can't be close-minded. Um, you gotta be open-minded about everything. Uh, at least that's how I, 
hope I am. <laughs> you know, we all don't know exactly how we're perceived by other people, but um, I definitely try to ma- I do my best to maintain that. How about that? And and I think it's and, and when I work with people, I just think it's super important too. And and, and be, it's okay to ask the dumb question and challenge each other. And then uh, hopefully at the end, the best idea wins. Yeah, that's a great atmosphere to be in. To have that where you feel comfortable, you know, bringing things up that may sound weird or you think are dumb, but you're in a safe environment where it's explored or it's not looked down upon. Yeah, yeah, we, and we try to foster that here. Um, and you know, I mean, every yeah, it's and there, there's always people are always going to be you know intimidated, but we're trying to you know really pull that out where where folks can. Cause I'd rather have people driving and making mistakes and, um, that's fine. Just, you know, here's a mistake. Let's, let's, we learn from, it. we won't do it and we'll try something new. Absolutely. All right. Final few questions here for you, Luke. What are you currently doing now that scares you and is making you stretch? Um, well, well, I guess, uh, going into Q4, Definitely we're stretching on, um, with, with, with new air, we're bringing a lot of really cool products in. So it's always uh, scary when you're bringing in new inventory and new products and, um, launching those out to the market. Uh, it's stretching us because there's a lot of work anytime. I would, I'd kind of like, you know, went through a long ordeal there about how we launch a product and it, it's time intensive. I mean, it really pushes the team and the team, the marketing team and sales teams are working so hard to get these um, products out. Uh, it's a lot of fun though, because we got some awesome products coming out. Um, and when products are fun, then people can really get engaged around it. But, but it definitely stretches because uh, what I, what, and what I mean by that is, you know, if you're, if you're a company with a hundred products and you're launching 50 new ones a year, that's a lot. You know, yeah, if you're, you know, if you're 5,000 and you're launching 50, you probably already have a huge infrastructure built in where 50 is not a big deal. But if you're, if you're, you know, launching half your catalog in one year, it's a, it's a big deal and we're, we're trying to innovate and that, and that, that's what we're doing right now. So it's, um, it's stretching us, but what's going to happen is, you know, I, I try to take a long-term approach on things, just kind of how we've talked about all these other things, starting the businesses, how I know in the future, once you get the big M, the big momentum, it's, it's, you're going to be just fine. And that's the same with product launches. When you think about, this is kind of about simplification, but you know, what is the most important thing at the company? You could, people could point to a lot of things, you know, the people of course, and all of those things that are the most important, but you have to have a good product. So if, if products are, you know, the lifeblood of a company, then we should always be, you know, launching and developing new products. And, and we weren't doing as much of that in the past. So anyways, that's, that's something we're doing now. And it's, it's definitely stretching everybody. Yeah, I bet. That's a big push. A lot of, a lot of moving parts there. What final message would you want to give the mindset listeners here about being an entrepreneur? I, I would say that everything starts small um, and that things are always going to be way harder, like three or five times harder, not just 50% harder. They're just going to be way harder than you think they're going to be. And so adjust your mindset up front and um, try to work towards that momentum. So I think it's, it's, it's not a complicated formula. Don't overcomplicate it, uh, but get ready to really, really grind. And I think, um, you're going to get the most out of, you know, your endeavors and your life that way. 
Luke, thanks so much for sharing that. <laughs> Most people want to hear the easy button. And I appreciate yeah. you saying it's going to be tough and get your mindset into it because you are building a business, you know? So I appreciate you being truthful on that and saying what it really takes. That's, that's what I love. And I, I really enjoyed our conversation here. I appreciate you going into detail, giving specifics and not just doing theory. Like I said, I like these to be educational, but I want it to be actionable also. I want someone that can say, hey, all right, I'm done. I took notes during this. I'm going to start implementing that in my business today <laughs> or tomorrow. And you've basically done that. You've you shared some specifics from books to strategies to philosophies to all different things. So I thank you for that. Yeah, thank you, Brian. I mean, I really enjoyed the the long format and um, how deep you know we were both able to go and um, your style's just uh, really easy to to talk to and it's it's a great format thank you yeah I appreciate it I appreciate you taking the time I know it's a busy time for you with the podcast and all these businesses going on so thanks for taking the time um, what's the best way the listeners can connect with you to see your new business launch that you got going on and to learn more about you and to check out your podcast where can we get all those goodies Okay, cool. So I, I have a list here, but uh, no, find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm active on LinkedIn, uh, Luke Peters. I think it's two dashes for my vanity URL, but just look up Luke Peters. Um, you can email me at luke at newair.com, N-E-W-A-I-R.com. And my podcast is the page one podcast with the number one. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying it and talking to some great people and I'm learning a lot actually, which is uh, I guess it's not surprising. It's, it's, it makes it a lot of fun. So I'm, I'm learning a lot and, um, probably LinkedIn's the easiest way. And I'm definitely, um, happy to help people or, um, you know, provide any guidance I can. I appreciate that. Yeah. We'll have all that information in the show notes. Everybody will have links that they can go to and connect to you. So Luke, thanks again so much again. I really appreciate it. And like I said, it's been a, a really good conversation. I really enjoyed this. Thanks, Brian. It's been an honor. You bet. All right, everybody, thanks again for listening. I appreciate you guys. I love you. And until next time, I wish you guys a brilliant life.